Thank you for listening to the Rivers Church podcast with Pastor Andre and the Rivers team. Be sure to subscribe for a weekly dose of encouragement and inspiration to help your daily life. We pray that this message will help in whatever season of life you might be in. Don't know how many of you have ever read the series of books by Stephen Pyle, but one of his books is called The Book of Heroic Failures. And uh, he tells stories in there of people that have failed dismally, and some of them are hilarious. And uh, one of the stories he tells is of the 1960 Olympics that were held in Rome. And he tells the story of Tunisia. The Tunisians in the meeting, please forgive me, it's just a story. But the Tunisians came to the Rome Olympics and they participated in the pentathlon. And uh, it's five different sports that you compete in. And uh, when it came to the horse riding, the equestrian, they scored no points at all because the entire team fell off their horses. And it was the first time that any team had scored naught at the Olympics. They made history. Well, when it came to swimming, some of the team nearly drowned. And a man called Anaki, who had really fallen off a horse, it took twice as long to complete the 300 meters as the winner. Twice as long. You wonder how they got into the Olympics. Their shooting was described as wild, and they were ordered from the rifle range because they were endangering the, endangering the life of the judges. In fencing, you know the fencing, only one of their team could do it, so they kept sending the same man out. During the third bout of fencing, the opponent ripped his mask off and said, I fought you before, and he was disqualified. Tunisia came 17, 17th out of 17. They were 9,000 points behind the leaders and scored, scored half as many points as Germany, who came 16th. It is the lowest ever pentathlon score at an Olympics. What's the moral of the story? The moral of the story is simply this. People who are competent, or supposed to be competent, can fail miserably. Isn't that the truth? How many of you know as Christians, we shouldn't fail, but we do. And sometimes it surprises us. It surprises us that we can be children of God and we can actually fail, but we do. The key thing is not that we failed, we need to get up from our failure and move forward into restoration and into healing. Can you say amen? Human beings will mess up. We damage our lives through bad decisions, through poor choices, through poor relationships, and uh, we can ruin our reputations. Some of you in the room may have felt that you did something, now your whole family's looking at you. Your reputation is ruined. Maybe at work you did something. Your reputation is damaged. Your family's been harmed. We can humiliate our spouses by the things we do because it becomes public and then they have to suffer for something that they had no part in. And we can damage our homes, harm our children, and we can feel so terrible that we can drag our feet through the rest of our lives. And God doesn't want us to do that. Despite the fallout from your failure, God wants to bring healing. And those of you this morning that are sitting here, you may not have failed. You may be walking with the Lord in strength right now. You might be at the peak of your spiritual life right now. And you say, well, I can't relate to that. I just want to remind you that when you fail so that you be kept from failure is there's always fallout beyond the decision you make and beyond your life. You can feel terrible in here, but often it damages everyone else around you. Do you remember when the Chernobyl nuclear plant melted? Do you remember that? 
It wasn't just the engineers and the managers and the staff of Chernobyl that were affected. Thousands and thousands of people were affected by radiation and had to move away from that area because of the fallout of maybe one or two people's decision in managing that plant. God wants us to be healed. He wants us to recover. And he wants us to move forward. If you think of people in the Bible who failed, one of them that stands out who you wouldn't expect is Simon Peter. And we won't focus on him this morning, but let me remind you, Peter was the leader of the 12 disciples, and he denied that he knew Jesus. But the wonderful thing about the story is this. Someone competent who you'd expect not to fail, failed. Jesus went and found him, restored him. You can read it in John 21. And then recommissioned him and wants to use him. And no matter how bad your failure is, no matter even if you're in tears today on the inside, God will find you. He wants you to come back and he wants to use you. Can you say amen? Maybe you feel like Job this morning. And as I read this, I thought many people feel like this. Job chapter 30. He says, surely no one lays a hand on a broken man. When he cries for help in his distress, I have, have I not wept for those in trouble? Has not my soul grieved for the poor? Yet when I hoped for good, evil came. When I looked for light, then came darkness. The churning inside me never stops. Days of suffering confront me. I go about blackened, but not by the sun. I stand up in the assembly and cry for help. Anyone feel like that today? Don't raise your hand. But you can feel so miserable. But you know what he says? I stand up in the assembly. I know the place where my healing lies. It's the church. No matter what life does to me, when I come to church, when I come and sit under the word, when I come to the Lord, I can find recovery and I can find healing. I, I, I had such a sense of witness as I waited on the Lord a while back already. I felt I need to speak along these lines because they're people whose lives are broken. And God wants to do this to you. He wants to rebuild your broken world. He wants to rebuild. And so I want to speak today on rebuilding your broken world. Maybe you know someone who's failed and messed up, regrets where they find themselves. But God wants to heal them. And no matter how low you get, he can lift your life. Lord Byron uh, writes these lines in the Countess of Blessington. And I think it's the way some people can feel when they failed. I think I can remember feeling like this. He says, I'm ashes where once I was fire, and the soul in my bosom is dead. What I loved I now merely admire, and my heart is as gray as my head. I want to tell you today there's healing here. There's restoration here. God wants to reach out, touch your life, put together, back together the broken pieces and make you whole again. We can read a text in a couple of moments here, eight verses, and it's the story in the Old Testament in 2 Chronicles of King Hezekiah, and the enemy came against them to invade them, and they put certain things in place in order to protect themselves from the enemy. You'll know, say, well, you know, that text is not something about being restored, but I think the principles there as I read it, they jumped out as principles we need to apply if we want to be restored. And they are defense principles for those of you that when the enemy comes against you, you can protect yourself from his invasion. 
And um, we pick it up in 2 Chronicles 32, if you're making notes. And uh, we'll just read eight verses. And then I'll give you five things that I see here that we need to do in order to rebuild our broken world. It says, Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, came and invaded Judah. He laid siege to the fortified cities, thinking to conquer them for himself. The devil's always thinking about conquering you. When Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib had come and that he intended to wage war against Jerusalem, he consulted with his officials and military staff about blocking off the water from the springs outside the city. And they helped him. They gathered a large group of people who blocked all the springs and the stream that flowed through the land. Why should the kings of Assyria come and find plenty of water, they said. Then he worked hard, I want you to notice this, repairing all the broken sections of the wall and building towers on it. He built another wall, it goes on to say, outside the one, that one, and reinforced the terraces of the city of David. He also made large numbers of weapons and shields. He appointed military officers over the people and assembled them before him in the square at the city gate and encouraged them with these words. How I many you know you need encouraging words in your life? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged because the king of Assyria and the vast army with him, for there is a greater power than us, with us, sorry, than with him. There is a greater power with us than with him. Great statement. With him is only the arm of flesh. Remember that, guys. As you look out at people you're putting your hope in, the Lord is with us. But with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And I love this last sentence. It says, and the people gained confidence from what Hezekiah the king of Judah said. Just before we get into unpacking this, the king that came against them's name was Sennacherib. And uh, it's an interesting name because it means the sin has replaced the brothers. Sin has replaced the brothers. And sin there is not actually talking about sin we commit. It's actually the moon God. But I found it very significant when you look at that name. I believe that what happens in people's lives, sin replaces the fellowship. Sin replaces church attendance. Church replaces fellowship with God and fellowship with our brothers. And it isolates us and breaks the walls of our lives down. And God says, I want to restore. I want to prevent the enemy from invading your life. And I want to restore you to where you once were in the fellowship of believers and, and, and you'll notice that it says that he was thinking about conquering. Hezekiah recognized the enemy's got designs on him, and before the enemy could even get in, he prevented it. And we need to stand God over our lives, and if our lives have been broken down, we need to take responsibility, and we need to rebuild them. Dennis Waitley, the motivational speaker, spoke about loss, and he said this. He said there are two primary choices in life, especially when you face loss or you've been defeated. Accept conditions as they exist or accept a responsibility to change them. If, you're, if you have failed, if you've messed up, there's something you can do about it and there are five principles that come out of this passage. Number one, the first principle, if you've failed in your life and you want to get your life back on track and you want God to rebuild it, 
Consult with God's people on how to be restored. Consult with God's people on how to be restored. Hezekiah, in verse 3, did not consult with the wrong people. He consulted with his officials and his military staff. Don't first go and seek medication. First come and seek the Lord. Get God's help before you end up on tablets and drugs indefinitely because you're depressed and discouraged and dealing with inner turmoil. Come and speak to the right people. We've got a pastoral team here. We've got good counselors here. Come and spend time with them. And if you think their advice isn't great, at least they're going to pray over you. Their prayer could be stronger than their counsel. Sometimes their counsel can be stronger than their prayer. But God wants you to go to the right place. Those who know how to stand in the Lord and wage war can help you overcome and be restored. And it says here in this text that they blocked off the water supply so that the enemy had nothing to feed on. Do you know when the Bible talks about water, it's actually referring to words. Did you know that? And everything in the Bible has a parallel. When you read in the Old Testament certain things, you know, no dwarf and no person with crushed testicles will enter the presence of the Lord. You think, oh, my word, the Bible's weird. No, no, what it means is no one in spiritually shrunken, no one who hasn't grown, no one who can't reproduce. You, Christians should not be dwarfed. They should be the biggest thinkers. They should be those who are able to. So there's a spiritual parallel. Yeah, they cut off the water supply because if the enemy can't get water, they, they will die of thirst and will have to retreat to other rivers and other sources. And so you've got to cut off the words of the enemy in your life, that flood. Isn't it, didn't, didn't Jesus speak of water when he said to the woman at the well, I have water that you don't know of? Hmm? And then it says in, in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7, that if you build your house on the rock by doing what? By listening to the word and obeying it, God's word. Then it says if you build your house on the rock, when the rains come down and the floods come up, water, water from above and water from belief, your house won't be washed away. Why? Because you've chosen the right words. You've got to cut off the enemy's flood of words in your life because if you don't, he will talk you out of recovery. Are you with me? Very important verse in Revelation chapter 13. And uh, it, uh, sorry, Revelation chapter 12. It says here, then the dragon, that's the devil, tried to drown the woman. The woman is the church. With a what? Flood of water that flowed from his mouth. We're in an information war right now. And you've got to go to the right people, hear the right counsel, hear the word of the Lord, the word of the Lord preached, and you've got to shut off the flow of flood that's coming from the devil that's trying to wash you away. Are you with me? You'll never recover if you keep listening to the wrong voices in your life. The devil tries to drown God's people with his opinions and ideas and you've got to starve him and you've got to go to the right people to get advice on how you can recover. Number two, we must rebuild the broken sections of our lives. In verse five it says there were sections of the wall that were broken and they built towers to guard them so that they could see. No one's life is ever completely destroyed but sections of your life are broken down and are open. Could be financial, could be emotional, could be sexual. You could have a gap in your life and the enemy is trying to invade and you must rebuild those sections 
and stand guard over them. They are, if you like, gaps in faith, gaps or entrances where temptation can come through. And uh, it's often places where we've lost self-control. Generally, if your life gets broken down, it's not because the enemy overpowered you. You have a free will. It's because you let him get over the wall. Notice this in Proverbs 25, and I probably quoted this verse numerous times in this church. It says, like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. We have to work to rebuild. God can't do that for you. You have to get up in the morning and say, I'm going to build that section closed. I'm tired of the enemy coming in there, luring me out. I feel condemned. I feel like my life is a gray mess. I feel broken. No more. I make a decision. I'm going to get the right counsel. I'm going to get the right word. And I'm going to stand God. They built watchtowers there. You need to stand God and watch over your life. Don't be passive and don't be too chilled. Don't just put the TV on. What's on the TV? No, you need to be like, no. Change the channel? No. When you watch the news, ENCA? No. SABC2? Never. SABC1? You've got to be joking. No, no. Don't just, you understand what I'm saying? I'm not attacking those channels. Don't just swallow information. Don't just swallow temptation. If you're watching a comedy and they're joking about sin, realize what you're watching. Seinfeld is very funny. The, the way they write and the play on words and the way Kramer comes through the door with his head. We all need to laugh, but you've got to sift. And you've got to stand God over your life. Number three. We must build another layer of protection. So we need to go to the right people. We need to rebuild the sections of our lives that are broken down, but we need to build another layer of protection. I found it interesting that the passage says that they built another wall. They built another wall outside the one that reinforced the terraces of the city of David. Isn't that interesting? Verse 5b of 2 Chronicles 32 and uh, they also had then large numbers of weapons and shields. And uh, it's enough to have a wall, but we need another wall. You need another layer of protection. I want to remind you here, in case you think a wall, you know, the walls of the city of Jerusalem, we often refer to it, we've preached on that. But a wall is this. This is a definition of a wall. Structures, listen carefully, structures that protect, providing security and represent a place of shelter, forming a sense of belonging. Are you with me? Structures that protect, providing security, and represent a place of shelter, forming a sense of belonging. You need to belong to a church, but you also need to belong to a protective community. And a connect group provides another wall of protection. Did you know that? Did you know that the Word of God protects you, but people are a wall of protection? If you've got the right people around you, they protect you. Do you have an additional wall in your life, or are you just relying on yourself? I think we need more, because even today, we're seeing top-ranked pastors in the world failing because they don't have a wall of protection around them. Do you know the wall of protection I have around my life is not just my staff and my wife and leaders. Do you know what my wall of protection is? I can't do anything without anyone knowing. 
everyone, my own, my own team. Ask any of my staff where I am, they'll tell you where I am. Ask my wife where I am, she'll tell you. We've got that Life 360. There he goes. He's at the wedge. Mm, probably popping in for nuts. There he's gone home, okay, he's in his study. That is a wall of protection because when there's no, you don't go to man and say, where's Pastor Andre? I have no idea. She'll tell you, he's at home preparing or he's gone out with Pastor Wilma. Very few times will we be able to sneak off somewhere. We generally do it together. <laughs> We've been very busy. We sneak off to Santon for an hour and go shop quickly and then come back. It's a wall of protection. You need it. None of us is as strong as we think. Now, do you remember when David, do you remember when David and his men went to Abigail and Nabal and asked for, uh, for food? Remember? And Nabal said, who are these oaks who are hanging around here? Any guy can start a band of, of, of soldiers and make themselves king and tell them to go away. The servant comes to Abigail, Nabal's wife, and she says this, 1 Samuel 25. These men, speaking of David's men, were very good to us. They did not mistreat us, and the whole time they were out in the fields near them, nothing was missing. Night and day, they were a wall around us. The whole time, we were herding our sheep near them. Do you know that the wall is not just a physical wall? It's a people wall. Do you have another layer outside the walls of your own life, a wall of people? You need it like never before. And especially when your life's been broken down, you need people around you. They might say tough things to you. You might say, well, who are they? All of us are human. You know, that's how people like bring people down a peg. They can help you because of what they've been through. C.S. Lewis put it like this. He said, think of me as a fellow patient in the same hospital who, having been admitted a little earlier, could give some advice. Isn't that good? And so we need a wall of protection, a wall of people, and it protect us and restore us. If you're not sure of what I'm saying, let me remind you that the Bible talks about us in these terms. 1 Peter chapter 2. You also, like living stones, talks about a wall, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We need the word but we need that second layer of protection, which is people. And they'll come around us, help us, help us get restored, revive us, and help us to go on and win. It's Grand Prix season again, and everybody's watching on television. And um, if you've ever watched racing of any kind, you'll notice that they have what's called a pit crew. And a pit crew is very valuable. Because when the car is overheating, when it's run out of fuel, when its tires are worn, when the guy's mask is full of bugs and flies, he can slip into that pit, pit stop and his wall of protection comes out. And they change all the tires, fill it up, wipe his mask, tell him a couple of strategic things, and then they send him on his way to win. Connect group is like that. Church should be like that. It's a wall of protection. Number four. Are you being helped this morning? There's always hope for those who fall or fail. There's always hope for those who fall or fail. Don't give up. Scott Fitzgerald, the American novelist, said this, never confuse a single defeat with a final defeat. 
You've had a single defeat. Maybe you've had them repeatedly. But you're not finally defeated until you give up. And uh, it's not as if, you know, we'll never fall in life. Some of us are so hard on ourselves. I'm very hard on myself. And if I fall or fail, I'm like, how could you do that? What's the matter with you? And I go to the Lord, Lord, I know I shouldn't. But you know, I, I remembered something the other day. And it, it, it really encouraged me in a sense. It was a terrible thing that happened to me, but it encouraged me. We moved into our house where we live uh, right now seven years ago, just a couple of months shy of seven years ago. And it is uh, on three levels, garages underneath, and there's the first floor, then there's the second floor. And when we moved in and we were going from the garage to the upstairs, garage to the upstairs, she said, I lost weight, it was wonderful. <laughs> My kilos just shrunk. I remember one of our guest speakers came and he said, look how thin you are, and you got the cheek to wear a Lycra t-shirt. Jealous. Anyway, we moved into the house and it needed massive renovation. That's how we got it. We spent a lot of money and had a lot to do. But here's the story. Going from the garage to upstairs, the guy who built the house made a whole lot of mistakes. So he put, can you believe, he puts a light switch at the bottom. You must know you switch a light in the garage and when you get to the top, you switch it off. No, 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 there's only one switch. And no handrails. So, you know, when you think you know a place, up and down with boxes, up and down with boxes, the next minute, dwah, 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 and it's got those steel edges. Man, I was, I was ripped open. It took about six weeks for my body to heal. Besides being sore, I had massive wounds on my shins. But here's the thing. I thought I could navigate without light. When you think you, can't na- you can navigate without light because nothing will happen to you, you know your way around, You navigate without light, you're going to fall hard. And listen, when I fell, you know what my first thought was? No way. How can I fall? I don't fall. I run up and downstairs. Ask anybody. Ask Sean. We've just built this building. I have not tripped over anything. What's the matter with me? But I thought I could navigate without light. And when you think you can navigate without light, you will fall or fail you got to get up. Guess what? That electrician was around there very quickly to put in another light switch and to deal with everything else that the house needed. We've spent so much time and money on it, but it's been quite a wonderful experience. But we need to recognize that any one of us can fail. But here's what you need to do if you fail. Jeremiah 8 and verse 4 say to them, this is what the Lord says, when people fall down, do they not get up? When someone turns away, do they not return? Proverbs 24 and verse 16, although the righteous fall seven times, means we can, they rise again. How many of you remember the old movie that uh, portrayed the story of uh, Eric Little, the Scottish runner, Chariots of Fire? He'd entered that race, and as they burst into that last stretch where they're going to do the last lap, and uh, they're going to go for the win. He tripped and he landed on the infield. You know the inside grass? He landed there. And as he looked up, there they all went. And, uh, and, and uh, none of them looked back. Isn't it like that sometimes when you fail? All the believers are carrying on. It's like, yeah, you see, they don't care. They're running to win. And in the movie, it seems like it's minutes as he gets his head off the grass, you know? But it's seconds, it's seconds. The question in the movie is this, will he get up? And he gets up, and guess what? 
he continues to pursue them. And guess what? He overtakes them and he wins. And here's the thing. If you fall or fail, get up. Because you, if you pursue, you might overtake. And it's not that we won't fall or fail. We will. But if we get up, we can keep going. And, uh, you know, God is like a potter. I don't know if you remember the story of the potter in Jeremiah. Stuff goes wrong, even when, you God, even when the hand of God is on you. But God is with you if you stay on the wheel to reshape your life. Let me read it to you. Jeremiah 18, this is the word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go to the potter's house, and there I will give you a message. So I went to the potter's house, and I saw him working at the wheel. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. It could so easily stop there, but it goes on to say, so the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as seemed best to him. Stay on the wheel. Let God reshape you. Stuff does go wrong. We do fall. It's when we have not enough light in our lives, but God can work and do something again. I, I, I don't know if you remember, but I told you years ago, I think it came from Stephen Pyle's book of Heroic Failures, but he tells the story of a man called Robert Chalk Thornton. He's a UK jockey, and uh, he's the most accident-prone jockey in the world. He's fallen off his horse a record 367 times. And when they interviewed him from his hospital bed, he said this, I haven't thought about giving up. We all fall, but there's always hope for those who fall. Number five, and I'll come to a close, feed on God's word of encouragement. Feed on God's word of encouragement. You need God's word. Listen to me. I didn't say read God's word of encouragement. What did I say? Feed on God's word of encouragement. And you need to eat the right kind of diet if you're going to go on in God. You need to choose what you read. You need to read that if God be for us, who can be against us? That's what Hezekiah shared with them. And the word is often spoken of food. Jeremiah 15 Jeremiah says, your words came and I ate them and they were a joy, my joy and my heart's delight in Ezekiel 3. Then he said to me, son of man, eat the scroll I'm giving you and fill your stomach with it. So I ate it and it tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth. Some of you say, yeah, I've been reading Leviticus. It's a rather discouraging book in the morning. Now you need to choose what you feed on. Study other stuff. Don't not read the Bible because too many people read the nice parts like a promise box. No, no, read the whole Bible, but choose what you feed on. Some mornings I read and I read and I read and it's information and it's history. And thus say the Lord, I will bang their heads and crush them and send them into banishment for the stiff-necked people. And I'm like, it's not me. It's not me. It's not me. Amen. Then then I feed. Come on, you've got now to do this. Yeah. If you've had a meal that's a bit bland, like, you know, boiled potatoes with a bit of dried meat, you need it. But then when you finish, you go to the cupboard for a... <laughs> Amen? Feed on the encouraging words of God. I love you. In, in 1 Samuel, it was, it was wonderful. Uh, Jonathan was, was walking through the fields and they were starving. They were hungry. And it says, so Jonathan reached out the end of his staff that was in his hand, and he dipped it into the honeycomb. The word's like a honeycomb. And I love this. He raised his hands to his mouth, and his eyes brightened. I'll tell you what, when you discover treasure in the word, and you read the encouraging word, your eyes will brighten, and you'll be able to go up and go on in God 
and you will be able to recover. Look what Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4. He says to him, he must be nourished on the truths of the faith and of the good teaching you have followed. Too many people are undernourished. They don't have enough light. They're walking in darkness, and you'll never recover from failure unless you have a word of encouragement in your life. Can you say amen? As I close this morning and as the worship team come up, I was reading about how in 1975, a man rushed into the Rijks Museum in Amsterdam. We were just recently uh, outside that museum. I'd walked all the way there three kilometers, and when I got there, it was closed. And then they said, book online. I was like, anyway, it was nice being in Amsterdam. But the Rijks Museum in Amsterdam, very beautiful. We've been inside it before and looked around. But a man rushed into that um, that museum with a knife in his hand and uh, he went up to Rembrandt's uh, famous painting called Night Watch and he slashed it to pieces before anyone could stop him and then obviously they arrested him the same thing happened in 1972 when a man with a hammer ran into St. Peter's in Rome and began to attack Michelangelo's statue the Peter or it's known as the Pity and uh, hit it about 12 times before someone managed to accost him and the statue was terribly damaged. Obviously, Rembrandt's painting was slashed. But the big thing here is they didn't take the painting down and say, well, that's that. They didn't move the statue out of, the muse, out of St. Peter's Basilica and say, well, what a pity. The pity was damaged. <laughs> Experts. People that are experts in the field of restoration got together and painstakingly restored both that painting and that statue to their former glory. If experts proficient in their field can do that with mere physical transient things, what can the God of heaven do with your life when it's been slashed, when it's been hammered, when you have failed and messed up? God wants to do that here today for anyone whose life has been damaged. He wants to rebuild your broken world. We hope you have been blessed and inspired by this message.